because God is on our side. And uh, we're in a series called The Finest Hour, and you guys are looking fine this morning. Yeah, in the promised land on the north coast. Okay, just me. Anyway, so this is the thing. We, we, we're living in our finest hour, but it comes from that movie. We've been talking about it. We're in that series, and the, the thought behind it is they're trying to get the spaceship back, and, the, and, and there's problems after problems after problems, and then they, they highlight those, and then one guy gets up and says, excuse me, sir, but with all due respect, this could be our finest hour. It's, it could be our finest hour, not because we find, because God's fine. Not because we're strong, He's strong. Not because we got it made, no, He got it made for us. Some people often ask me, are we saved by good works? I say 100%, just none of mine, all of Jesus's. We are saved because He did it for us on the cross. And so when we arrive this morning, we're on the front foot. We're on the front foot just because God's on our side. And so that's the joy of worshiping together because when we worship, we lift up our eyes and we lift our eyes to the one who made us and set us apart. And so we're in this series, The Finest Hour. And uh, if you're new to church, uh, it's been looking at the book of Acts and we've looked a bit at that and we pulled back because we were recently in Israel and, uh, and had a trip there and we pulled back to some of the gospels. And uh, the reason why we've been doing it is because the book of Acts is all around activity. So you want to get things done in your life. Who wants to make a difference? Everyone wants to live a legacy. We all want to do that. We want to, we want to act upon what we've known. But in order to find out how we act, we've got to pull back to who we are. And last week I spoke a little bit about identity and how it's formed. And what I realized that identity is formed three ways. One, it's in who Jesus says you are. Not in what your past says you are, what your addiction says you are, what someone said to you when you were younger. No, it's who Jesus says you are. It's understanding because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. The second I'm going to speak about today, and I'll get to that just now. And then the third, and this is just a little teaser for next week, because we're in one scripture, but we're going to keep going back to it, because the third is, has to do with how we are formed. Our identity is formed. It's formed within community. Do you know that we're not just saved, but there's a satisfaction to our saving? And if you want to know what satisfaction in our saving looks like, it could be that we, our identity is formed within our community. And so that's just for next week. But for this week, I really want to pull back and re recognize that in order to know who we are, we need to know who He is. Because when I know who He is, He'll tell me who we are, and then I'll know what to do. And so today, we're going to look at who God is in our lives. And, uh, you know, just uh, recently, uh, uh, as I said, we're looking at a scripture in John chapter 5, and I go back there. Um, but when John the Apostle writes this story, uh, he writes an account, and he uses this word, not miracles, they are miracles, there's seven miracles in this gospel, but he uses the word sign. And a sign, as we, as we talked about last week, a sign points to something beyond itself. Amen? Anyone here? There's a sign saying, Great Town, it points. You're not going to find Great Town at the sign. There's a sign, it points beyond itself. Everything that's written that John writes about, every miracle is a sign beyond itself. Why? Because he doesn't want to just see the miracle, he wants us to see Jesus. There's a sign. Now, I don't know, I felt like God had recently spoken through signs to me. As I spoke about signs, God's part, I've got a sign for you. I, I remember I spoke last week, it was up in Hilton. Um, I think our team have got it here on the screen for us. And uh, it was called um, the Biltong Barnyard. There we go, look at that. It says, you have tasted the rest, now taste the best. I love that thought, but look at this guy. I mean, he's, a, he's just got a little shop in Hilton, but look what he's got offering there. He's got Biltong, Drive Horse, Cabanasi, Chili Sticks. I don't know what those other two things are. Then he's got Babala Sticks. Bubble our sticks. I, I took that through my window. I wanted to go and see what that was. Has he got panado wrapped up in the cabanasi? I was like, bubble our sticks. And then, and then the last one just really drove me home. I mean, he's got reverse osmosis purified borehole water. 
Well, I don't even know what os- uh, reversed is. Now it's osmosis. I mean, like, I don't know. That's pure borehole water. I mean, sheep is going to taste of that. This guy's a marketing genius. And then he won me right at the end, homemade rusks. What a legend. You've tried the rest, now taste the best. And I really felt like that for us as a word. You know, we tried the best. We tried Monday, we tried Tuesday, we failed on Wednesday, our knees were shaking on Friday. But today as the church of Jesus Christ, we get to taste the best. It's the good news of the gospel. There was another sign. I picked up my daughter at school on Friday and uh, we were driving up the road there and I picked up and I caught this sign there. It's, you can put it up on the screens for us just to have a look. Another sign. Great hair doesn't happen by chance. It happens by appointment. <laughs> now, that didn't work for me, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. I, get the, I can ask for a discount when I go for a haircut. Great hair, great hair doesn't happen by chance. It happens by appointment. And I thought to myself, you know what? Great faith doesn't happen by chance. It happens by choice. Great convictions don't happen by chance. They happen by choice. And you know, Jesus has been asking his question, and he asked it last week, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? But here's what I've learned. Jesus doesn't heal people that need to get well. Jesus heals people that want to get well. Rick Warren said this so beautifully. There are three types of people in this world. There are accusers, there are excusers, and then there are choosers. An accuser, oh, we're going to blame them. You know, remember the man? I'm going to blame them, blame them, blame them. I'm waiting for someone to rescue me from the issue. I'm going to keep blaming somebody else. Let's just choose to accuse someone. And then you get excuses. I'm just going to sit back. Watch how it happens. But God hasn't called us to be excuses and excuses. He's called us to be choosers. I'm not living by chance. I'm living by choice. Amen? Amen. So today I want to go back to John chapter 5. It's the same scripture. We're going to read it again, but I just want to bring some new thoughts to us because I believe that God wants to speak to us through this text. As I was in Israel, I've got a picture of me and Gracie up in Israel. We're in Jerusalem, and it's a picture over the old city. There we are. The sun's going down, and where we are right there, it's on the Mount of Olives. It's where Jesus would stand and be with his disciples, and it overlooks the old city. There are the gates below, and below is the Valley of Kidron, and to the right where those trees are is the Garden of Gethsemane. There are two olive trees, they say, that were there when Jesus was there. And you stand at this moment, the story of Israel, as we've said, is not that Jesus is, is, is there, not here. It assures us, it gives us an assurance and a confidence in our lives. We center ourselves. Do you know the Mount of Olives is where Jesus is going to come back? He's going to stand over the Mount of Olives. Over that picture there, there's some graveyards just below. So Jewish people put their graves there. They actually purchase land to put their graves there because the Jews also believe that when Jesus comes for the first time, they think he hasn't come already, the dead in Christ are going to raise, be raised first. They're almost lining up to get up first. And then they've got the walls over there and the eastern walls being, uh, being blocked up by the Muslims. And they believe Jesus, when he comes back, he's going to go through the eastern gate. And the Muslims have blocked it up. Trust me, they also believe he's coming back. Now we just leave it there. You see, Jesus stands above everything else. We are assured of his story. And when we lean into it and we see it, you know what it does? It puts a real confidence in us. Why is identity important? Because when I look at the Jewish people, they know who they are. And when you know who you are, you're going to get real confidence. 
The challenge is with us. We're trying to sort out our results, but God says, pull back because I want to see your identity. Why? Because identity ensues your motivations, your motivations, your actions, and your actions, your results. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. I want to pull back to John chapter 5. We're going to read it together. And I've got three observations today because I believe that God wants to continue to remind us of the story we're in and shape our identity. Because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Let's read it together. John chapter 5. It's the healing at the pool. Do you remember it? Verse 5, and it's uh, chapter 5. And it says, sometime later, say sometime later. We could just stop there for a while. You know, I love this thought, sometime later. You know, when we read the Bible, we've got the danger of just reading it, and it's highlight after highlight after highlight. And then when we think our life isn't a highlight, we question whether we're actually following God. Anyone say that? You read the book of Acts, and you go like, this guy was healed, this happened, this happened. But I love the fact that there's some dead time in the Bible. I love the fact that the book of Acts is written over 50 years with five different churches. I love that thought. You know why? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine five churches in this area? And we wrote the story of God over 15 years. We wouldn't be able to fill up the books of what God has done in through five churches. Amen? Now the challenge with us is we think because time goes past and we have ordinary days that God's doing nothing. No, 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 my friends. While you're waiting, God is always working. Sometime later, Jesus, it says, went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there's in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. Remember, it's the house of grace. In Aramaic, it's the house of kindness and mercy. And which is surrounded by five, say five, covered colonnades. Another Bible interpretation says five porches. Just remember that word, porches. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Today, we've arrived at church we are the house of, house of Bethesda. We are the house of grace. And amongst us here today are the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Notice the order. The blind, the withered, the paralyzed. We often want to deal with what's paralyzed in our life, but the gospel always starts with opening our eyes. Because when we see Jesus, everything changes. When my eyes are opened, I'm strengthened. I once was withered and I'm strengthened. I once was paralyzed, but now I've been given purpose. Then he went on to say, one who had, who had been there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Isn't that a great question? I think whenever Jesus asks us a question, we spoke about it last week, it's not that he doesn't know the answer. It's an us problem. He's provoking our thinking. He's asking us, do you know who I am? He's shedding a light on our condition. The reason he asks the question is for us to think about where we're at, because we can only start where we're at. And then he said, sir, the invalid replied to him, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which he took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. I love that. That's the title of my message today. That man said, 
That man said, just like last week, 2.0, that man said, we're not going on what the world says. We're not going on culture says. Whatever Jesus says you are, that's who you are. You're not your past. You're not, your pre- you're not what someone said to you. You're not the world says to your culture. We are who Jesus says we are. That man said, pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, Do, does this, who is this fellow who told you to pick up the, and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. As I said earlier, the title of my message is that man said 2.0. We're going to look again at identity, but really we're going to ask that same question. I want to ask you that question. Do you really want to get well? And do you remember last week I asked you, think about that issue in your life that, you know, you haven't dealt with it, you've just coped with it. And it's been a long time. Now you've got to go easy on this man. Remember the man on the mat last week? Here he was on the mat. There's a magnet on the mat. And sometimes it's the community we find ourselves in, a community that just affirms you but never transforms you. Sometimes it's that mentality that keeps you there. It's It's that entitlement mentality. It's that thought that, you know what, I didn't do what I did, and I'm waiting for someone to come rescue me, and so I want to blame everybody else. Maybe the issue is this man didn't have a name, and so his issue had become his identity. He'd associate what he had done wrong with who he was. You know, often we do that in our lives. We're not known for our name. We're known for what we did wrong. But God comes to change that, and Jesus came to change that. And last week, week, we realized we are who he says we are. But today, I want to look at a different angle. And I want to look at this, at this angle of identity is not just found in Jesus telling us who we are, it's in recognizing who Jesus is. Three observations I got from this text, and the first one you can write out nice and simply. Number one, take a step. Number one, take a step. Now, you know what I love about this story? If you look at it, there's a pool. Remember, it talks about a pool, and then it talks about five porches. And I don't know about you, but there's, an in, there's something inside of us. We all want to get to the pool, don't we? We all want the living water, don't we, in our lives? We all want to have a a drink of this living water. We all want something that's going to heal our issue. Isn't that true? But the problem is, we're still on the porch. Here's the porch. There's the pool. And I thought to myself, the Bible says there were five porches. Can I just help you with a little bit around five porches? I don't know what kind of porch we sit on, but I've got some five suggestions. The first porch is the porch of, I'm just waiting for revival. Okay, I'm talking to the church people over here. You know those guys who say, you know what? I just, I can't wait for God to come give revival. You know, you know that thought like, I'm waiting for revival. As if revival is an event. The Bible says revival isn't an event. Revival is in your heart. When the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, it changes you from the inside out. There's no good us waiting on the porch for revival one day. Revival's in you. Take a step towards the pool. Take a step towards the pool. Revival is not just something out there. It's something that God put inside of you. What about this porch? It's just not my season. You know, you know, uh, and it's just me. Eh? It's just not my season now. I'm waiting for when my kids get out of school. I'm waiting one day when I get my degree. I'm waiting one day when someone else comes to pick me up and takes me off my porch. It's just not my season. But the Bible says that today is the day of the Lord's salvation. The day is the day of his Lord's acceptance. He's acceptance. You know what he says? He says, now is the time. God has called us to get off the porch, take a step and run towards the pool. 
My season is not just one day when it happens. My season is today because I have everything I need for what God has called me to do. What about, what about this porch? The porch of when I know enough. You know, when I've read the Bible back to front and backwards to the front, when I know everything and I've researched it and I've got enough knowledge and I know who God is, when I know, when I have enough, when I know enough, when I know enough, you know what the challenge is? The Bible says in Peter, you have everything you need for godliness. I've given it to you. And so what we do is we hang back on the porch thinking one day when I know enough, I'm actually gonna jump off and take a step to the pool. Okay, this is one of my favorite ones too. You see, I'm a green temperament, and my default is, is like Sid the Sloth. <laughs> now, don't laugh, hey, don't laugh at me. Eh? We've got some green temperaments here. You know, ask my wife. She'll tell you, you know, it's, it's funny. When you go into marriage, some marriage advice, go in with your eyes wide open, and when you get married, shut off. Walk around them closed off. You just have grace for each other. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm the kind of guy, that if there's many, you know, if we want to go to supper, Douglas says, let's go to supper. I say, where do you want to go? I'll do whatever you want to do. You know, I, I just, you know those guys that go like, let's do this. I just go, I'm happy to go with you. Where do you want to go? And for, for the red personality that frustrates them because they want, I'm going to go to this restaurant, order this meal and have it done by that. And I'm going like, hey, but just chill. Just chill. Hey? And some of, us, some of us are sitting on the porch too long and God's going, when are you going to decide to get up and move? Have you not seen I'm on your behalf? Have you not seen you? I've given you everything for this life? Stop sitting on the porch. Get towards the pool. Now, 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 you know what? You know what's great about this story? Is that the Bible says that they were blind, they were paralyzed, and they were withered. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say they were mute. You know what these guys were doing? I, I, I think this man here without a name, his name was Jimmy. I'll give him Jimmy. Jimmy. Jimmy had been there for 38 years. He was the head honcho. I mean, his legs were paralyzed, but he had a big talk. He had a big mouth. You know what I'm saying? Hey, boys, what's happening? I've been here for longer than me. No one steps near me because I've been here 38 years. You've been here 30, hey? What do you think over there, my man? When's the pool going to stir again? When do you think it's going to happen? It happened last year, August. Well, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting on my porch. Big noise, big noise, but no effect. You know, watch the All Blacks play against the Springboks. Ian Foster, he's been attacked by the New Zealand press. We didn't have to do anything. We just smiled and waved. The New Zealanders were just coming after him and coming after him and attacking his personality and attacking his character. And I saw a press conference and Ian Foster said, they said, Ian, what's the worst thing about it? He said, you know what the worst thing is? They've accused my players of being pop gun players. Pop gun. You know what a pop gun does? It goes pop, but there's no effect. Some of us have a pop gun faith. You know what I'm talking about? Big noise, but no effect. Have you watched Discovery Challenge? Have you watched the Discovery Challenge? You know those seals that come down? There's a, you know, Richard Edinburgh. There is a, a polar bear that's coming to get the seals. And, he, and they see the seals going like, oh, 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 oh. They're making so much noise, but they're moving in slow motion. Polar bear is just walking around going, which one am I going to take? He's like, which one? You see, they, you see friends, we weren't called to a pop gun faith. We were called to a faith that says, take a step, get off the porch, and walk towards the pool. My friend, you can, you, can, you can make a lot of noise in your life, but God hasn't called you to make a noise. He's called you to take action. 
When are we to take action? Sometimes Christians are like, hey, I can quote every scripture. Hallelujah, revival's coming. But they never act on what God said. Take a step in Jesus Christ's name. Take a step, he's on your side. I think, you know, this is my, well, that was my favorite. This is my new favorite. <laughs> porch, number, porch number five. Porch number, last one. From the porch to the pool, take a step. Last one. You know what? When Jesus comes and stands over this man, he says, man, get up, pick up your mat and walk. You know what I would have said to Jesus? How? How? I've been here for 38 years. Do you not see my quads? How? When, God, when, when Jesus comes to Peter in Acts chapter 16, and it says a light comes into the gospel, it's the angel of the Lord, which means it's Jesus. He wakes him up in a cell. He's in prison, chained by two chains to his feet. He's got two soldiers in front of him. He's got a maximum security. He's going to die in the morning. Peter's sleeping. Jesus wakes him up, and he says, get up. Do you want Peter? If I was Peter, how, God? Do you not see these chains? Now, I don't know about you and your life. Think about that issue I spoke about earlier. You know what often we ask God? How? How am I going to pay my bills at the end of the month? How are my kids going to get through school? How am I, do you ever ask how? Friends, how is never up to you. How is God's responsibility? You know what your responsibility is? to remind you of who you are. Who are you? I'm a child of God. Who are you? I'm loved by Him. Who are you? I'm known by the living Father. Who are you? Remind yourself of who you are, not how it's going to happen. That's going to set some people free today because all we do is ask how, how, how. God wants to remind you who you are. Think about Mary. Angel comes to Mary. Mary, you're going to have a child. She goes, how? I've never slept with a man before. How? Even you and I are going, yes, I don't know how. How? You know what the angel says? Angel says to Mary, Mary, the Spirit of the Lord is going to overtake you. The Spirit of the Lord is going to overshadow you. You know what, Perry, you know what you know Mary did? She said, I know that I'm his daughter, so I'll do whatever he wants me to do. You know what she did? She reminded herself of who she was. Think about Jonah. You know Jonah? God comes to Jonah, and he says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. He goes, no, I want to go that way. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. He goes, no, I want to go that way. He gets on a ship. The guys in the ship realize the storm's in the ship because of Jonah, and they chuck him off board, and he gets swallowed by a whale. And he's in a whale for three days. There's a true story of a man from Brazil. Same thing, he got swallowed. True story, by a whale. He came out like Omo, fresh, white. <laughs> what? It happened to Jonah. Jonah is in the whale. He's in the, he's in the, in the, in the stomach like this. He's got seaweed up to his neck. And I think for three days, all Jonah did was go on about how am I going to get out? How am I going to get out? How am I going to get out? Until he changed his prayer. And you know what he said? Thank you, God, that I'm your son. And today you'll take care of me. And that moment he spat him out onto dry land. Friends, stop looking at how. God's going to spit you out in dry land. You didn't even know how it happened. But stop focusing on the how. God said, I'll take care of the how. Just remind yourself of who I am. Who I am. Take a step. Take a step. What port are you on? You're living too long on the porch. Take a step towards the pool. We all want that, don't we? Look at the story. The story starts in a terrace and it ends with a testimony. But the man had to take a step. I know that all of us want a God's testimony, don't we? We want a God's story. We do. But the challenge is we're still on the terrace. God says, will you take a step and trust me? Watch what he'll do. Second thing I see in this story, nice and simple, see him. 
see him. I am because he is. I am because he is. Remember last week, we are not defined. The devil wants to remind you of your scars. Jesus wants to remind you of his. I am. Look what Jesus does. Jesus goes and finds this man. He didn't even see him. You know, the, you know the funny thing is? The Bible, the story, if you don't read it, you read it too quickly, and then you miss it. You know what this challenge is? Is that there were hundreds of people there and a man, and they didn't recognize Jesus. They didn't even know he was there. Even the people that were with God, the Jewish people, they didn't even know because they asked, who's the fellow? No one saw Jesus. I wonder why. I wonder why they didn't see him. You know why? Because they were all looking at the pool. They were all looking at something they thought could bring them security and healing. They all had their attention on the pool stirring. Can I ask you a question? What's your pool? Is it your business? Is it your family? Is it your health? Is it your good looks? What are you focusing on? Because if you're looking at that, you're going to miss the very person that's standing right next to you who says, you're looking for the water over there, but I am the living water right next to you. You're looking for the pool. Remember Jesus came to the woman in Samaria? Same kind of story. He goes out of his way into Samaria, meets the lady, says, I'm thirsty. Give me something to drink. She says, no, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. No, you're a man. I'm a woman. Doesn't want to do it. Jesus said, if you knew who I was, I'll give you living water. You never thirst again. Then Jesus says to her, listen, he, asks her, he almost asks a question. He says, will you go and get your husband? She says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right, because you're living with your fifth guy. You've had four husbands before. You know what happened to this girl? This girl was putting her security in her husband. She went from one husband to the second husband to the third husband. Can I ask you a question? Who's your husband? Because at this, no one saw him. They were looking at the pool. But the person was standing right next to him. The living water was right there. So often we want to put our security in other things. Helen Keller said this so beautifully. There's one thing worse than being blind. It's not being able to see. It's not being aware. Recently, I've, you know, there's traffic problems, you know, from, from here to Maritzburg. Go Ashburton, Koninkinga, Baba. You don't go there. Every now and then, I go the scenic route. You should try this route. It's the Wartburg Road. It's unbelievable. It's beautiful. You go through these hills here. You get to Wartburg. Mm, those Germans are parat. Beautiful land, Albert Falls, and then you duck into the most incredible city you've ever seen in your life, Peter Maritzburg. But the route, the journey is unbelievable. I was traveling with, I've been through that route many times before. I was traveling with my son. We're driving to a little town. It's called Bumshella. Now, when you ride this road, all you want to do is get to Wartburg. Bumshella is a non-event because it's 400 meters long. And there's a couple of trading stores and a garage. But James says, Dad, he says, we're driving through. Dad, are we going to count them? I said, what, the sheep? He said, no. What, the goats? He said, no. He said, we're going to count the Cressiders. He's going to count the Cressiders. We counted 38 Cressiders in 400 meters. I'd driven that road many, many times before. I'd never seen the Cressiders. It's amazing how sometimes through life, you know what? It's the Cressida capital of KZN. Do yourself a favor and go and drive there. Now, you know, Cressidas are unbelievable. And I thought to myself as I drove through it, I felt like God said to me what the Cressidas are to Bumshella. Because in Bumshella, if you want to ride, if you want to thrive, you drive a Cressida. What the Cressidas are to Bumshella is what our convictions are about who Jesus is in the kingdom of God. If you want to ride with some, I don't know, I'm going to use another word. I was going to, if you're going to ride with a sense of spirit, you need to know what your Cressida kind of conviction is in the city of Bumshella. My dad bought us a Cressida many years, 1990. 2.8 GLE. E4. Unbelievable. <laughs> that Cressida was a 2.8 white road eater. Two things about this. One, my brother, I think he clocked it. 
They clocked the auto speed there because it had auto speed. It had leather seats, electric windows. That was a big deal back then, you know. And when you got in, it was like Knight Rider. You know, the front, it was like, whoo, whoo. It was, the, it was the, the Speedo, Knight Rider. But there was only, thing, only, thing, only one thing that moved faster than the Speedo. It was the petrol gauge. Ooh. Like it, if you went to Durban, you'd fill up a Kloof, Hillcrest, whatever. You just, you just keep filling up. But I want to tell you, you ask the Pondo people in the trans car. Every one of them drives a Cressida. You know why? Because it drives like this. If you, if you haven't driven a Cressida, you've missed out on your life. Go, and, go to Bumshella and ask them to drive one. They've even got station wagon Cressidas there. You can get in the back and you can feel it because when you ride in, you do this. You do this. You do this. I want it. There's no hill too big enough in Bumshella to ride a Cressida. You know what, God? In the kingdom of God, what we need is some convictions of who we are. Because when you know what we're riding, we know who God is, it'll change our kingdom reality. I want some crescent of faith in Bumshell. I want some I want the conviction of who I am. And you know how that happens? When I see who he is. I want to take you a story because here's the challenge. When we put our security in the pool, what we are saying is we're insecure. You know why? Because we haven't trusted God and we've got a skewed perspective of who he is. A.W. Tozer said this. What do you think about when you think about God? Because that is the greatest question you'll ever be asked in your life. If you think God is a schoolmaster, you're going to be running around in fear. If you think God is a grumpy old man who pressed the snooze button in heaven, you're going to walk like the burdens on your life. And after a while, it's going to take too much. But if you know that God is a gracious, kind, loving God that's all powerful, it'll change the way you live. What do you think about when you think about God? You know, there's a story in Exodus chapter 3. It's a story of Moses. And he comes and encounters God. And... Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's walking in the desert, it says, with his father, looking after his father-in-law's sheep. He's 60 years old. You know, basically, he feels like his life's a washout. I mean, you're working for your father-in-law, you don't own anything, and you're 60 years old. Not good, you know? And he's looking after sheep, and he's in a desert. And it says that as he's walking along in a far place, it says a far place, God comes to find him in a burning bush experience. Listen, I don't care how far your life has gone, but God will come find you just like he found the man in the temple. God comes to find Moses and he, and, he, and, he, and he speaks out of a burning bush. He sees this burning bush. And you know, guys, a burning bush, you know the thing about something that burns? There's fire, isn't it? And when you need fire, you need fuel, don't you? But there was no fuel for this fire because God doesn't need our fuel. He's got his own fuel. God is eternal. He is the great I am. He's, he, he, he provides for himself. He doesn't need our fuel. And God speaks out of this burning bush experience. And I don't know about you, friends, but every now and then when God comes to us, He wants to, doesn't just give us an encounter, He wants to us to experience Him. And sometimes it comes in a place that doesn't make sense in your life. But I want to encourage you, what doesn't make sense, step towards it, because often it's God speaking to you. And sometimes He needs to wake us off the mat because He gives us an experience that doesn't make sense. But when you step to forward, you'll see that God was in the story. A burning bush experience comes to Moses. And God says to Moses, Moses, Come forward, and as he turns to come towards him, God begins to speak, and he says, Moses, take off your sandals, it's holy ground. Moses stands there, and God begins to speak to him. And he says, Moses, this is what I'm gonna do. And he tells a story. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and rescue my people from Egypt. I've heard their cry, and I've heard their suffering, and I've heard what they're going through, and I'm gonna go and rescue them. And he goes on about how he's gonna do this, how he's gonna do this, and right at the end, he goes, and you, Moses, are gonna do it with me. And Moses, I love the Bible's sense of humor. Moses goes, whoa, when did this become about me? You know, I like the part about you doing everything, but now you're involving me? Me? And he says, well, who am I? 
And God answers him. You know how God answers him? He says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Now notice what God doesn't do. God doesn't go, hey, Moses. He doesn't psych him up. He said, Moses, look in the mirror. Tell yourself, you're a, you. You're unbelievable, Moses. You've got great skills. You can, you can do it, Moses. You are, you are, I mean, you might be a bit of a stutterer. I think Moses first started stuttering when that burning bush happened. Uh, uh, OMG. Short for, oh my gosh. You know, I think that's where his stuttering started because he had an experience with God. But God says to him, don't go and psych yourself up. You know, I often tell my son, when you play rugby, imagine the game before you play it. So like imagine, because when you get on there, feel like you've already been in the field. You know, imagine, God doesn't do that with Moses. He doesn't say, go and stand on the, you know, imagine you're in the Pharaoh. Like, wow, I'm going to give Pharaoh a hiding. No, he doesn't do that. Do you know what he says? You know what he says? I am with you. In other words, look at me for a moment. Look at me. Real confidence doesn't come from your competency. It comes when you have an assurance of the one who goes with you. It comes when you have assurance of the presence of God in your life. Real identity doesn't come from whether you have the skill or not. It comes from the assurance that God is on your side. Moses walks in and he goes, he's on my side. And then, God, and then Moses starts to claim all his insecurities. He goes, I'm a stutterer. I don't have anyone to help me. I've been here in the desert for too long. I don't know what to do. And you know what God says? And then Moses turns to him and, and says, who, who should I say sent me? And you know what he says? He says, tell him, I am sent me. What do you mean I am? I am sent me. The word I am in Hebrew means Yahweh. It means the God who was and is and is to come. When God says I am, he's saying I'm bigger than you've ever dreamed of. I'm the one, if you had to go to the beginning of time, there's God standing outside of time. If you had to go to the end of time, as you know, there's God standing outside of time. God is the God who was and is to come. When the Hebrews and the Jewish people read Hebrews and it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, you know what they say? That's Yahweh, because He's the one that was and is and is to come. He's bigger than you and I could ever imagine. God says that's all. You know what He's saying to Moses? Moses, it's less about what you bring. It's more about seeing who I am. When you see my power, I was given a gift uh, just recently, this, this watch, it's a Phoenix Garmin watch. And when you touch the screen, it just opens up your world. It tells you your body percentages. It tells you more than you want to know. <laughs> it just opens up to a new world. You know that every day, if you looked up at the stars, God shows us a picture of who he really is. It's really big, isn't it? Do you know that our first star is four light years away? You know when you shoot a rifle, it moves at a half a mile a second. There's a spaceship that traveled at 20 miles a second. It took nine years to get to Pluto. There's another spaceship that's called the Millennium Falcon that travels at the speed of light, 182,000 miles a second. Now astronomers have told us that the, they've estimated that our universe is 91 billion light years in expanse. If you traveled for the whole length of your life, 91 years, you might nearly just get to the end of it on that Millennium Falcon. And when you get there, guess what? God's going to be there. And then if you travel the other way, as far to the east as you could, and you travel for 91 years and 91 billion light years, and you'll get there at the speed of sight, guess what? God is there. That's how big He is. He's bigger than you and I could ever imagine. You know what's amazing, though? Is that when God speaks to Mo Moses... He says, Moses, when you go before Pharaoh, you don't have to come with your eloquent speech. You just need to remind yourself of who I am. Who I am. 
And you know, the funny thing about Moses is actually sometimes our insecurities stop us from seeing the destiny of God over our lives. Moses was in a desert looking after sheep. You know what God would do? He would take the people of Israel outside the clutches of Pharaoh and bring Moses back into the same place he had looked after sheep, just this time it would be God's people. Moses knew every nook and cranny, every spring, every person in that desert. God was already pre-planning his destiny. He just hadn't seen it yet. I want to encourage you, friends, look back at your life through the eyes of faith and see, I want to tell you where you're sitting today, God's been preparing you long before you knew it because I'm looking through the eyes of faith. Complaining will keep us captive, but remembering God's faithfulness will set you free to walk into everything you have. When you see him, it changes everything. Jesus came back to this man and he said, see, I have made you well. The last thing as we close is the last thought. Do you see what he said? He said, when you see me, it'll change everything. The last one is this. You have been made well. You've been saved. This story, we think it's a miracle of healing, but it's a miracle of salvation and wholeness. He said, you've been made well. I think some of the challenges, Christians, our biggest insecurity is asking whether we're really saved or not. Anyone here? You did something wrong. Something went down this week. You did something and you go like, am I really saved? Is God really going to save me? Your salvation was a gift to you. In other words, if God gave it to you, you can't break it because it's a promise for Him. He says, you have been saved. Think about saved. Saved means in the past tense. Let me, let me show you some other words that God describes you. He says, you saved, E-D. Look at that word, E-D, prone on the back, E-D. What about blessed, E-D? Not one day you'll be blessed. Not when you get it right in heaven, you'll be blessed. No, your starting point is blessed. You are justified, E-D at the end. You know what justified means? Just as if you never sinned. You are justified. What about this one? Ooh, this is going to play with my mind a bit. Sanctified. E-D. You have been made clean. Clean forever. When God sees us, He sees His Son, Jesus Christ. Think about this for a moment, guys. Noah is a picture of salvation. You know when he got in the ark? When do you think Noah was saved? When he'd been in the ark 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 10 days? 20 days? No, the moment God shut the door behind him, he was saved. Think about the Passover, when the angel of death went over the houses and the blood was on the doors. When, when were they saved? Were they saved when they had the lamb meal? Were they saved when they said grace? No, when the angel went past, the angel didn't look into the house and go, oh, I wonder if Douglas and his family are all good. No, they didn't look at the family, they looked at the blood. And when they saw the blood, they were saved. Saved and set free forever. Hey, listen, listen. You know what happens is, you know what happens with our salvation? We keep looking for something that's already been given to you and I. The man hadn't seen Jesus before. Jesus came back to tell him, listen, I am the one. If you look at me, you will grow in Christ. If you look at me, you'll grow your faith. If you look at me, you'll take a step. If you look at me and you see me, I'm the great I am. I'm bigger than you ever imagined. If you look at me, things will change. But guess what? Remind yourself that you're also saved and set free. What's the last words in the Bible uh, of Jesus on the cross? It is? finished ed it's done how many of you know that we go anyone lost their keys here before whenever i travel kath always says i leave something behind you lose something what do you do when you lose something you go looking for it don't you and when you find it what do you do you rejoice 
But there's something you do before you rejoice. You know what you do? You stop looking for it. Stop looking for something God's already given you. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you are assured of your salvation. God said it, we believe it, and it's been done forever. That's where my starting point is. I am blessed, I am saved, I am renewed, I'm restored. God is on my side. You know, just to close with this this story, I think a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about unstoppable faith. And I remember telling the story how we got into an accident. 8.30 in the morning, Saturday morning, and we T-boned a taxi. And, uh, you know, one of those moments where things get, it's like the matrix. Everything just happens in slow motion. Get out the car. I've checked to see everyone's all right. People getting out the taxi. They're running towards me. I'm in this township. I T-boned into a Shabin. The Shabin's right there. Lady in a pink dressing gown comes up, and she goes, you must pay, you must pay. And as I said earlier, I thought she was saying USA, USA. I was like, I was just standing there with my phone. And I lock my family in the car because I'm thinking, you know, which one I'm going to take first. You know what I'm saying? You're like, there's these people around me and, and, and I'm sitting on my phone and I wish I was brave, but I wasn't, you know. I was like, and I was just been numb. I had nothing in my, I was just, I don't know who to phone, who to call. I don't know what to do. You know that place in your life where you get, like that man, 38 years, what do I do? You know that issue that's going on in your marriage? What do I do? You know my past that keeps haunting me? What do I do, God? You know what I wasn't doing? I wasn't praying. I wasn't asking him. But you know what happened? 26, 20 seconds later, a cop van came up behind me. Guys, if you phone the policeman in Amplali and ask them to come, you'll be lucky if they come the same day. 20 seconds in Shia Moya, Saturday morning at 8.30, a cop van pulls up. The cop gets out, Mr. Hossein. I was like, man, this is Jesus. He steps out, disarms the crowd, gets the two drivers. He knows the owner of the taxi, phones him, brings him to me. He says, listen, we'll sort this out. I want to tell you, friends, was I praying for it? No, because you know what? God knows what we're going through. He will supply every need in your life. Don't worry about the how. Look at the who. Look at the grace of God. He found this man in the temple when he didn't know what to do. And he came back and he said, see. I've made you well. See, I've made you well. I've changed it forever. Are you sitting on the porch today? Your identity isn't found in the porch. Your identity is found as getting to the pool. You know what the Bible says as I close today? You know what it says? That the person who got in the pool first was healed. You know what God loves? God loves first responders. God loves people who get up and say, I'm going to be the one to pray first. I'm going to be the one to sing first. I'm going to be the one to get up first. I'm going to be the one in my family to set the president. I'm going to be the one that stands up in faith. Tap your neighbor and say, don't be the last. Don't be the last. Be the first. I want to get up and praise God like he's never praised before. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that mat. Get off that mat. God's changed your life. You know, Moses, I can picture Moses walking into Pharaoh's palace. Man, oh man, he must have smelt like sheep. eh? He'd been 40 years in the desert. He looked like a sheep. He smelt like a sheep. He walked in, can you imagine that? He's like, got a toothpick. I don't know, just toothpick in his things. And he stands like this, like this. And there's the Pharaoh. He's the most powerful man in the world. He has armies that would slay anyone. Big entourage, gold everywhere. In walks this man. And Pharaoh looks at him. And he says, who sent you? And Moses looked at him and he said, the great I am sent me. And I want to tell you, Pharaoh's heart began to shudder from that moment. Because when one man 
a little bit of faith in a big God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. You know what? I reckon there must have been a soundtrack playing in that palace. But Moses knew the soundtrack. You know what it was? This is how I fight my battles. You know that song? This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. You see, when you are surrounded and you see God, everything changes. A little man with a big God. Unimaginable story. Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand? I want to pray.